Pastor Andrew here. This month, we're talking about the giving challenge. Each week, I want to give you a word that helps you take a step in your generosity. And this week's word is percentage. Now, before I show you what I mean, let me ask you a question. How many of you, at the end of your life, want people to say about you that you are the greediest person on the planet? If that's you, raise your hand. And just so you know, if you raise your hand, you will get a flat tire on the way home and you might even get a little bit of leprosy. See, nobody wants to get to the end of their life and say, I held on to everything and I made life all about me. Not to mention the more we keep just for us and the more we make life all about us, the more we find ourselves in a place that we just don't wanna be. Living in debt, feeling guilty every time there's a need or living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. We don't want to be greedy because deep down inside, God has wired us to be generous. And all this month, we're talking about taking a step. So let's picture our finances as a ladder. If you could picture your finances as a ladder, at the top you would find financial peace and a life of generosity. It's where we want to be. Not stressed out, not set back, not living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, but in peace in our finances, living generously having a hold of our finances so they don't have a hold of us. We all want to get to the top. But see, we often stand at the bottom. At the bottom, here is a place of financial stress, where we live close-fisted with a scarcity mentality that says that we need to hold on to everything because there simply isn't enough. So we don't give and we keep it all. You want to know what one of the biggest things that you can do to get to that life of financial peace and generosity is? It's to get on the ladder and to simply take a step and to start giving. And think percentage. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Maybe you say, I'm just not ready to give that 10%. And we'll get to that in the coming weeks. But right now, the first step is not staying here at the bottom of financial stress and thinking I can never have that financial peace. I can never get to that generous life. Or even though I want to, I simply don't have enough to get there. The first step is to step into God's economy and to simply get on the ladder with a percentage perspective. 3%, 5%, 8%, keeping in step with your income to simply give a percentage. So don't stand at the bottom, but take a step toward the top. Come on, don't y'all love Pastor Andrew? I think if you see him today or next week, give him the biggest hug and tell him you have leprosy. That's what he needs to hear. That's what he needs to hear. No, actually, he's did a great job. As we kind of are leading this month of conversation, it's to position us to take a step in the month of March all the way through May. We are doing a 90-day giving challenge, and we want this to be a moment for all of us, all of us, to evaluate what are we currently giving, and then will we be willing to take a step, to take a step. I love today that he brought up the idea of percent giving because I think if you're giving nothing to start giving something, measure that. Measure that against your total income. What percent is it? Maybe you're giving something and you want to move closer or get all the way to that 10% of income, which we call a tithe. And then maybe you're there and you want to give beyond that. You see, whatever that may look like, I believe as we take steps, God can, can continue to grow us in that way. You know, when I think about our church, I think about us gathering here today in a rainy day, but inside. I think about these buildings. I think about our ministries. I think about uh, our staff. And I even think about our online tools that we do to reach out there. How do you think we built all this? 
We built this because people were willing to give. And I guarantee you, like me, many of you, we're in a room right now where people before us gave, their generosity gave, so that we could be sitting in this space right here. So really, if you think about it, it's just our turn. It's our turn to give to the mission as God continues to lead us. And so as we challenge this month, let's all be willing to simply take a step. Take a step. Now, interesting enough, our sermon series right now is titled, Take a Step. And we said this, that the the difference between an ordinary life and extraordinary life is often separated by a single step. And so if you have a Bible there, turn with me to 1 Kings. And we're going to start at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Kings. And as you're turning there, let me do one more push for this next weekend. This next weekend, we have this annual thing for teenagers called Elevation. (laughs) Elevation is a phenomenal tool that our student ministry uses to rally middle school teenagers, high school teenagers to come. And instead of going away to a camp or a retreat ground, we stay right here in our community. And we gather up by grade and gender, and we have a whole entire weekend starting on Friday night all the way through Sunday morning where we rally together to see what God can do. Actually, it starts on Thursday night. I messed that up. Thursday night is the rally night to kind of give you the assignment of what home you're going to go to. And good news, if you're a teenager here or if you're a parent of a teenager here, it's not too late. You can take a step today and get signed up and not miss this weekend. And I think it's a great weekend, not just to connect with God, but also to connect with some other people in the church and to shrink this big church and making it small. Don't miss that moment. Now, Pastor Jason's a new staff member here, and he said, Pastor, this is hard recruiting this year because I don't know all the families of Mount Ararat, and I still have some volunteer needs for this next weekend, and you've got a louder voice than I do because you preach on Sunday. Can you just tell them if anybody wants to help us in volunteering at any capacity, we still have room. We still need a house for next week, and if someone's willing to open up and be courageous, we would love that to happen. So you go out in the People Street today and talk to Jason if you're willing to help in any way possible, even if you could help drive on one of those days to to help transport teenagers to different places, that would be huge, okay? So with that being said, we're in a series on faith. This series is all about taking steps of faith. And we started with the new year talking about Elijah, be brave. And then we've moved into this second part of the series where Elijah hands his baton of leadership or his mantle of leadership to a man named Elisha. And so I just want to commend you today, all you brave people today, that y'all have braved the weather to come to church today. And to all of you watching online that live locally, you're a bunch of sissies today. (laughs) You can't have be brave and take a step and stay at home because it's raining. Come on. But no, it is good that we can gather here. It's good that we can gather there. And we believe God is teaching us some things through these prophets in the Old Testament. Now, to kind of lean in, we used some phrases last week that he gave us from the narrative. It was, help me here, burn the plows and strike the water. Okay, so y'all were with us last week. You know this. Let me give some context to that for those that might be visiting here today. Burn the plow actually means to surrender your plans for God's plans. And in the story, literally, Elisha is behind the plows of oxen. And Elijah shows up and says, come follow me. And he is so bold in his response, he slaughters the oxen 
he burns his plowing equipment and he has this huge barbecue as if to signify, I'm never coming back to this job again. I'm now going to follow wherever God leads me to go. And so this idea of surrendering his plans for God's plans was part of that narrative. Now, maybe you're here and you walked out last Sunday and went, wow, God, what does it mean for me to burn the plows? For some of you, maybe it was stepping out of a hollow job or a job that's passionless to step closer to what you've been made for, to come alive in what you've been made for. Maybe it wasn't a job, maybe it was a relationship and you're trying to step away from an unhealthy, toxic relationship so that you can begin to live again. Or maybe for you, it's to give up a possession that has gotten in the way of you really living your life. I don't know, but I think it was bigger than that. Burning the plow could be surrendering a bad attitude. Burning the plow could be giving up a bad habit. It could also be laying down endless excuses that you continue to give of why you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. It could even mean confessing a sin that is keeping you from the life that God wants to be living through you. Burning the plow, though, is something that we all had to say, what is it in my life that's keeping me from life? But then strike the water was taking it a little further. Strike the water is obeying God's word over your ways. God's ways are always going to be better than our ways. And so when we follow his word, we begin to surrender our ways. Now, in this, the application is, where do I need to obey God? How do I obey God at work? How do I obey God at school? How do I obey God in my family? How do I even obey God in my faith? And so even in that application, man, it could take all of us in lots of directions. Now, let me just give you a little disclaimer. If you were here last week, because I had many people share some burn the plow moments or some strike the water moments, can I just say this out loud? Because I think you understand this, but when I heard a few people, I'm going, eee, that's not good. God is never going to call you to do something that would cause you to disobey his word. So if you're saying, I got to burn the plow and it's this and that's against God's scripture, that ain't it from God. Can I just tell you that? God's never going to call you to go sin on his behalf, if you know what I mean. But sometimes we get a little bit confused as we're trying to apply, what does it mean to walk in the faith that God has for me? Now, I don't know about you, I had to do some own personal inspection of my life with God's truth like I do every time I gather with you. And what I realized is that when we begin to take a step towards God, I finally get the courage to take a step towards God. I want everything to magically line up and fall into place and go, ta-da, you're right, look how good you are. But oftentimes when I finally take the step that God wants me to take, usually the opposite happens. Conflict arrives, criticism arrives, people don't like what you've just stepped out into. And sometimes that's the tension that we feel next. Now, think about the story. Elisha just got this cloak, this mantle from his leader, Elijah. He takes it, he strikes the water, and the water parts. And everybody watching that day finally gets to see that he is now going to be the next heir apparent. That now maybe people will finally respect Elisha because they've seen the power of God on his life. And so now maybe he'll get treated in a different way. Notice this, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23, what actually happens next. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. 
as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and they began to jeer at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. And he turned around and he looked at them and he called down a curse in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled all 42 of those boys. And then he went up to Mount Carmel and then he returned to Samaria. I'm just going to leave God's word right there, right there. I've always wanted to read that passage out loud to you. And if my kids are in this service, I hope they're hearing the word of God right now. To all my bald brothers out there, you just found your life verse right here. Just call the bears out. Just call. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to try to unpack all that right there. But what I'll say is this. When we finally get ready to take a step, it might not make life easier. Things don't instantly get better. Sometimes it takes on a whole nother battle. And that's exactly what's happening right here for Elisha. Now, let me just kind of get real personal with you. This last week, as I asked you, did you take a step? I got to ask myself, did I take a step? And, and I did, I did. Last week, uh, as I walked out of this sermon, I felt like, man, God, your word was so clear. I heard his whisper was so loud in me. Many of y'all know this last year has been a year of grief, a valley of grief. And I, I can't control that. I get that. But the conviction of burn the plow for, for me was you've allowed the sorrow to turn you so negative in your thinking, so negative in behavior. You got to burn the plow of all this negative junk that's come along with your sorrow. And I started to confess that to God because I knew he was right. And he's saying, you got you to burn the plow. Then when I begin to think about striking the water, it got really specific there for me as well. When I hear this idea of a 90-day challenge, I'm married, I got kids too. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do in this 90-day challenge? So I said, God, I got to strike the water in my finances. God, I'm going to strike the water there. Then I'm going to strike the water with my family because there's so much coming together with our family. I'm going to strike the water there. And then I'm going to strike the water because I heard it last week loudly to me is my neighborhood, my neighbors. I want to strike the water in my neighborhood. No sooner did I wake up Monday morning, spend time with God's word, open up my journal, write these new commitments down to the Lord. Soon as I closed that journal up and started my day at Monday, I get a call from my wife. Now, I just prayed for my neighborhood, and my neighbor, my next-door neighbor, just backed her car right through my fence. I'm thinking, are you kidding me, God? Really? Later in the afternoon, I come home, and I walk through the door. I prayed for my family that morning, right? And World War III was breaking out in my house. I mean, we were talking to our kids about responsibility, about having a better attitude in the house, at home, and at school, and rah, rah, rah. And before I know it, every one of us are yelling and screaming, trying to get the last word. Come on, have you been there? I probably shouldn't have told you that. Pastor does scream at home right now, every now and then. And then it gets even better. Later that evening, we go to bed. We're up in the bedroom. My wife and I are talking a little bit, and I struck the water about what? Finances. I found out that very day that my daughter, my beloved firstborn daughter, decided to put the Liberty University on our credit card and not on a student loan. So we're about to go to bed, and I know, I know in my head, I gently and lovingly said, Pam, let's talk about that credit card bill. And she lovingly and glared back at me. You know, ever done that? And she said, really, right now, 
really? You're going to bring that up right now before we're about to go to sleep? And then she said to me, you're the only family member I haven't fought with today, so I guess we ought to go there. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Come on, have you ever been there? Come on, strike the water, burn the plows, take the step. And sure, I stepped. I stepped all in it, right? <laughs> and that's is that what happens a lot of times, is it not? That when you start to obey God, the challenge that obedience begins to get attacked. And it's real, it's real. Today, that's where we're gonna pick up in the story. Elisha is walking with God. He is doing the right things, but it doesn't mean life gets easier. Now to catch up here in chapter three, where we're gonna pick up, I need to give you a little bit of context. There's a new king in town. King Ahab has already passed away. And if you know the, the story, he dies, his son gets the throne, and then he dies like two years later. And now King Joram, the other son, is now king. Now he's the new king. And in being the new king, he's still the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, but the kingdoms are still divided, right? And as he's taking on this new assignment, he knows since he's young and he's young and now taking over his dad's throne, he knows he's going to be tested and challenged. Sure enough, the neighboring country, King, Moab, King of Moab, he has to every year because of King Ahab, he had to pay tribute. Come on, y'all know tribute, right? I think tribute, I go, do, 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 do. But, but you know what I'm saying. Tribute is the fact that they have to pay something annually to Israel to keep peace among them. They have to give 100,000 lambs. They have to give 100,000 wool of rams. And they have to pay that annually to be right standing with Israel. So this year that King Joram's king, King Moab, decides to pay nothing. He's testing, Right? He's testing to see what King Joram will do. So what does Joram do? He doesn't want to be punked in front of everybody. So he's like, I got to stand up. I got to man up. I got to own up. So what does he do? He says, we're going to go to Moab and we're going to get back what's rightfully ours. But what he does first is he travels. I want to show you this. Northern kingdom of Israel, he travels down to the southern kingdom of Judah. And at this hour, it's King Jehoshaphat, which is a pretty good man. He's the king down here, and he tells them the plan that we're going to go to Moab to get back. What's mine? Will you go with me? He said, yes. Then on their way, they pass through the kingdom of Edom, and the king of Edom decides he's going to go with them. So now you got this superpower working here. Are you with me? Three countries are about to show up and take back what's rightfully his, or at least so he sees. But then as they were making their traveling through the southern point, through the desert, they face an opponent they didn't count on. It's called thirst or dehydration. They did not bring enough water along to take care of the livestock that's with them and take care of the men that are with them to go. And all of a sudden they began to realize we're going to lose our lives in this desert. So King Jehoshaphat says, well, wait a minute. Who's the man of God among you? Let's go to him and ask him for direction. Ask him to talk to the Lord on our behalf, right? This makes sense. And of course, Elisha, he didn't pay attention to the man of God. His parents didn't pay attention to the man of God. But somebody in his camp says, oh yeah, there's Elisha. Let's go gather with him. So that's the plan. That's the plan. Now, as they gather together to go down to find Elisha, they're going to go and make this presentation to him to say, help us, help us. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Is that King Joram is willing to seek divine help, not because he wants God, but because he wants a solution from God. Come on, that'll preach right there, won't it? 
He don't really want a relationship with God. I just want to get from God what I need to get from God. That's really all I need from God. That's where we pick up in the story. If you have a Bible, 2 Kings chapter 3, let's begin in verse 11 to show you the very story I just kind of shared with you. It says this, King Jehoshaphat asked, Is there a prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And of course, an officer of the king of Israel answered, said, Yes, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to actually pour water on the hands of Elijah. Well, the king, King Jehoshaphat, said, Well, the word of the Lord is obviously with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, they make their way down to him. Now, Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to your prophets, your false prophets, your prophets of Baal that you and your family bow down to, the prophets of your father, the prophets of your mother. And then the king answered, No, no. Because it is the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Well, Elisha said this then. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But this is what I'll do because of the king. Now, are you with me kind of there in the tension of the story? Did you, did you feel the attitude there, the angst there? Elisha's like, you've never given me one ounce of attention. Matter of fact, my leader, Elijah, I saw how your parents treated Elijah, and they haven't been any better to me, and you've not been any better to me, but now you're here asking for my help on behalf of God? If it were just you, I wouldn't do it. But for King Jehoshaphat, I will. I will. That's where we are in the story. Are you feeling the tension yet? And watch this, verse 15. This is an interesting verse. I like this. In this moment, he asks for something to happen. And I want you to see it. He says, bring me what? Bring me the harpist. (laughs) And while the harpist was playing, a hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Bring me the harpist. Bring me the music. Bring me the worship. I I love this part because in the story of the Bible, King Saul, the first king of Israel, when he used to get all worked up in his panics, he would call for shepherd boy David to come and play the harp to calm him back down. You see, there's something powerful about worship, is there not? Now listen, I know worship changes a lot through time and history and space from country to country and era to era. And I know some of you, maybe when you started worshiping Jesus, worship was like this. And now you come here and it's worship's like this. You know, I get that. I get that it's changed. But there's something that's very constant about worship. And here's what it is. Worship is to call our, our minds, our attention, and our affection and to put it on the one who deserves our praise. Worship is to give us a bigger perspective of who God is. Worship is to help us to see not just who God is, but to get to see our life in light of who God is. I'll say it this way. Come on, Andy, you'll like this one. Worship is our weapon. It is our weapon as followers of Christ. I I, I need to come here every seven days and worship with you to know that I'm not alone and to know that I'm not alone, that we're in this thing together. And that God is God overall. Come on, does anybody agree with that today? Andy, I didn't hear you. Is anybody for that today? Come on, man. Worship is our weapon. 
Worship is our weapon. It's how we fight the doubts. It's how we fight the negative. It's how we begin to reframe what we're actually going through to see God in it all. And and I love, Elisha says, strike up the music. Come on, get the music playing. And then the spirit of God began to fall on him. Now, even in this, it gets better. Watch this. As we continue to look, though, I realized something about this. And, And I actually, this is where I want you to lean in today. Today, I've titled today's message. It's on your sheet there. What does it say there? What does it say? Dig a what? Dig a ditch, right? And so today, I want to talk to you about digging a ditch. And even as I was studying this passage today, I realized that I had to dig just a little deeper to get to the truth of where God is revealing himself in this passage. And so I even had to, I had to really get in here and I had to dig just a little bit more to get something more out of what God was wanting to say here. And I want to show you what I found here as I was digging a little bit here. I want you to see this. In this passage, if I just keep reading into verse 16, it's going to tell me in the NIV, NIV a certain outcome that God does something and it kind of arrives, right? But when I really look deeper at the passage, I realize that there's something in NIV that's missing here, but i got to dig deeper to find it. Now, the reason I like to show you how I find stuff is because I want to normalize this pulpit to your life. I want to show you that I can read the word and you can read the word. That you have the same access to God as I do. I know I play a certain role for our church to be a mouthpiece on Sunday morning, but I want you to know the same access to scripture, you've got it too. The same connection with God, you've got it too. And just like I can read the Bible, you can read the Bible. Just like I can study the Bible, you can study the Bible too. Do you get this? So one of the things that I use when I'm studying the Bible is I use an online site called blueletterbible.com. It's actually an online lexicon that helps break down the the words, the Hebrew words behind the scenes, the the Greek words they're using in the New Testament. Blueletterbible.com is beautiful for that. And as I was digging into the verses, I realized there was something missing in this verse. Let me show you what it looks like on Blue Letter Bible when you look at this verse. It actually uses six words to, to, to map out verse 16. Amar, Amar, Yehovah, Asa, Nakel, and then Geb. These words translate into, it, it, the King James is right here on this side, and actually the King James is closer to what it actually translates out to. Amar, he said, and then thus saith the Lord, make the valley full of, what's it? That's the word Geb, make the, the valley full of ditches. Now, you're thinking, why are you freaking out over that, Pastor? Well, this is important because as I read this verse, all of a sudden I'm realizing that Elisha is inviting the people to be responsible for what's about to happen next. You see, we always think, God, come through. God, save the day. God, bring the miracle. But God says, guess what? I want you to do something first. Dig the ditch. Are you with me yet? Let me just show you the verse again in the King James. And God said, actually, and Elisha said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Now let's just keep reading what it says next. Verse 17. It says, For this is what the Lord says: You will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water. And you and your cattle and other animals are going to drink from it. Now, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord, and he will also deliver Moab into your hands. You're going to overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You're going to cut down every good tree 
You're going to stop up the springs and ruin any good field with stones. And the next morning, about the time that you're going to offer the sacrifice, there it was, water. Come on, there it was, water. Water flowing, flowing the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. Mm. Now, as we even lean in on that today, I want you to see something here because I love this part of the story that Elisha gives responsibility to the people to dig the ditches and then he promises that God's gonna bring the what? The water. So you're gonna do something and then God's gonna do something. There's something in this. Come on, I love this, I love this, I love this. Because when I look at this, the kings, the kings are all asking for a miracle and God gives them a work order. Isn't that good? Come on, this is not about positive thinking. This is not about sitting down on the sidelines and going, I hope things can get better. No, this is about get a shovel and go dig a ditch. Now, if you notice the time of day that he asked them to do this, this is the most unlikely moment, right? This is like in the middle of the night. He's asking them to pull an all-nighter and to work. <laughs> Think about this for a minute. In the middle of the night, go get a shovel and start digging a ditch. Yeah, that's ground you're trying to dig into. It's hard. It's hard to dig through there. That night sky, it's pitch black. And what are you doing out there? You're going to what? You're going to dig a ditch. You're going to dig a ditch. You're going to dig a ditch. Come on. This is the last hour I can make a mess, right? Come on. You're going to dig a ditch. And here's what I love about it. Come on. Show me your faith. And I'll show you my faithfulness. Isn't that true? God's inviting them to take a step and to take a step is to take a step of faith. And even in this, I, he makes it even more challenging. He says, as you're digging, you're not gonna feel the wind of a storm coming. So you go, oh yeah, a storm's coming. You're not even gonna feel the rain fall. I just want you to do your part and trust me to do my part. Dig a ditch. This is what I think has gotten in the way from some of you from experiencing the fullness of what God could be in your life right now and in your relationship right now because you have not been willing to dig a ditch. You see, everybody wants something to change until we have to dig. Then we don't really want to be up for that. It's like, oh, I don't want to have to work for it, right? And he's telling the people right then and there, it's time to dig a ditch. Let's just kind of look at that for a second. If we were to map it out, what's your part? What's our part? What's God's part? So our part is to dig a ditch. And what's God's part? Come on. Make it rain, God. Come on. Come on, God. We want God to come through. But you know what we'll do? We'll spend all of our negative energy. We'll go, God, why haven't you got it raining yet? God, where's that water yet? God, where are you? What are you doing? What are you not doing? Oh, we're worried about God. And yet we don't even ever worry about what we're supposed to be about. Hey, guys, y'all want to see God move? Dig a ditch. <laughs> Dig a ditch. And when I even think about that, through Elisha, God is calling these people to faith. That's what this whole series is about. It's faith. So I'm going to ask you today, do you even know what faith is? What is it? What is faith? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the confidence in what we hope for, for the assurance about what we do not see. It's hard to have a hope in something when it hadn't happened yet, but isn't that what faith 
is all about. Faith is not just thinking. Faith is not just believing. Faith, faith, faith is taking a step. Faith takes work. Come on. Faith takes work. Are you willing to take a step of faith? The brother of Jesus even said this, faith without action is dead. Did he not? There is some expectation that God has for us that I think somehow we slip by and we miss and we miss and we miss because we're unwilling to take a step. We're unwilling to dig a ditch. And as I was even thinking about that, I thought about this. I grew up in Texas, single mom raising us kids. And I thought about sometimes her asking us to do certain things. She was a nurse. She'd be working. Hey, have y'all vacuumed the room yet? Hey, have you cleaned the dishes up yet? Hey, have you, have you, have you made your bed up yet? Have you cleaned your room up yet? All these things that moms ask. And you know what? There was a phrase we used to use in Texas. I'm fixing to. Come on, some of y'all know that phrase, right? I'm fixing to. And fixing to really means I'm about to or I'm getting ready to. It actually means procrastination in some other states. It means disobedience, depending on how your parents led you. But, but I think a lot of us, that's what we're about, even in our own faith with God. God says, hey, take a step. And you go, I'm fixing to, God, I'm fixing to. And we wonder why we miss the moment with God. I love pictures, don't you? I'm over here digging ditches, and it's raining outside right now. Isn't that awesome? God, thank you for cooperating today, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. After net tomorrow, the next day, you're going to say, stop digging, pastor. <laughs> we don't need no more rain. But isn't it interesting that we're all fixing to do something? There's another ancient proverb that goes like this. The road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. Good intentions. Some of us, that's our spiritual lives. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, but no step. No ditch. You know, when I think about that is the ancient proverb means that if we don't take our promises and plans and put them into action, they're really useless, aren't they? And God's trying to show us something here. But Elisha, he believes and he leads the people to dig a ditch and he promises that God's going to bring the water and to fill the ditches and that's what he does. So let's just kind of look here for a second. I've been talking about what does it mean to burn the plow? What does it mean to strike the water? What does it mean to dig a ditch? Let's just go there. Here's what I think it means. It means to create a space and invite God in. Is that not good? Create a space and say, come on, God. Come in this space with me. And I think this is important because, you know what? When we get into a relationship with Jesus, it's about inviting him into a space, right? It's about surrendering. We don't save ourselves. No, God does all the saving, but what do we have to do? We have to invite him in. That's the faith part of this whole thing, right? It's to create the space and invite God in. When I was thinking about this idea, that's really what the spiritual push is about today in this series, is that are we willing to dig a ditch? Are we willing to create a space? Are we willing to invite God in? Are we willing to dig? And I would ask the question, are we willing, how deep are we willing to go in an area in our life? So I started thinking about some areas in this, in this church today. I thought about the person in this room that, that is a single adult. And I think 
whether you're single all your life or whether you're single because of a divorce or because of a, a loss of a spouse, there is nothing to be shameful about being single. The Bible actually talks about it being a gift if you can see Jesus as the ultimate one that completes you and not another person. But it's in a relationship with Christ that you can be fulfilled and there is there's no, nothing to look down upon someone being single. But a lot of times when I meet single adults, you know what I hear? That there's a loneliness sometimes of wanting a, another, wanting a spouse. And I don't think that's a wrong desire either. But sometimes the language of our culture is I'm waiting on who? Mr. Right or Miss Right or however you want to say that. And I'm wondering that in our faith journey sometimes, we pray to God, like, God, God, where's that person? Where's that person? Where's that person? And God says, but have you dug a ditch yet? You see, if you're single and you long to be in a relationship with someone, dig a ditch. So, so what, what does that mean? What, what does that mean to dig a ditch? Well, listen, if you're single and you're grown and you live outside the house, do you have a job? Hello, that's dig a ditch. That's probably a good start if you want to be able to support someone one day. Do you have a job? And then I might ask some things about your life. Do you take a shower often? <laughs> Are you good with hygiene? Dig a ditch. I know you want a miracle, but dig a ditch. Does this make sense? And I would ask maybe, how, what's your physical health like? You might need to hit the gym. It might be part of it. But you know what? More than physical, what's your emotional health like? Some of you that want another relationship, let's look at the past relationships. Let's look at the wake of people around you. There might be something in you that God needs to heal and change and bring back together again before you'll ever be ready for someone else. Come on, that's digging ditches, isn't it? But it's harder sometimes to confess and to repent and to realize that there's some things that need to be undressed at home first. Dig a ditch. Some of you walked out of here this week ready to quit your job, right? Don't do that yet. Don't do that yet. Don't do it yet. While you wait, you want a new job? When's the last time you dusted off that resume? You might need to freshen it up. You might need to go see a mentor and say, hey, I got these skills. I got these passions. Where do I go? Coach me. Help me know what I need to do next. What's my next step? That's digging a ditch. Are you with me? I might need to actually put my application in a few places. Yeah, I'm going to pray that God's going to give me discernment, but I'm not going to do nothing while I wait. I'm going to dig a ditch. Come on, teenager in the room. Come on, student in the room, kid in the room. I know your only motivation maybe to make good grades is to get mom and dad off your back. I get that. But if you want to make a good grade, if you want to do well in that class, if you want to actually get into that college, guess what? Pray, but don't stop with prayer. Dig a ditch. Study. You got to get the books out. You got to open it up. You got to actually read. You got to actually write the papers. You got to actually study for the test. You got to dig a ditch. Come on, your backpack has papers flowing out of it. Step one might be let's get organized. Let's work it all out. Let's begin to map it all out. And let's get the ditch dug so when the water comes, I'm ready to catch the water. Come, I'm preaching to somebody today. Amen. You got to dig a ditch. I think, about, I think about people in this place and space that every time we do talk about giving, it just makes you feel either guilty or mad. It's because it's an area of your life maybe you've fallen in. 
debt has you all the way underwater because you spend more than you make. And every month you're looking at that growing and growing and growing. Can I tell you, it's time to dig a ditch. I know you've been praying to win the lottery, but listen, it's time to dig a ditch. The way you've been managing your money has gotten you to your reality. So guess what that means? It means you need some help. We've got actually a class that we teach on this called Financial Peace University. Why? Because we want to help people dig a ditch to get free. God ultimately wants us to be free from wealth. That way we can use money instead of money using us. And listen, listen, you know what giving does? All giving does, it creates space for God to speak into that part of our life. And it creates space for God to actually bless us in that area of our life. So we're not going to ever back away from that as a church because that's what it's like to dig a ditch. Is this making sense? I think about the family in the room that maybe you are married and marriage is not great right now. And you thought burning the plows means I'm going to burn that husband and wife and I'm walking the other way. <laughs> but God says that's not my application there. It's time to dig a ditch. You want things to be stronger? Then you've got to look at you first you got to say, what do I need to confess? What do I need to repent? What responsibility can I embrace? Instead of you looking at what they're not doing, look at what you could be doing to be a blessing and a gift to your spouse. I promise you change your attitude and your behavior, you might change your spouse in the process because their response to you will be different if you become different. Maybe it's you finally have courage to get in that marriage enrichment class and to take that profile and to look at the areas that you both already know are weaknesses for you. Maybe it's time to finally go to counseling that you've always sworn. I'll never go to a counselor. Somebody's going to tell me what to do. Listen, somebody could come alongside of you and help throw water into your ditch if you'll just dig a ditch. Will you trust God in an area that you want to see different? Would you trust God to grow there? And then it all really comes back to this. It comes back to your own faith journey. If your faith journey is about digging a ditch, you're creating space for God to meet with you. So come on, you know what that means, doesn't it? We just talked about a whole series about be brave, right? Be brave said what? I need God in my private life, right? I need God in my personal life. I need God in my public life. I need God in my painful life. What is that? It means I'm going to have a quiet time with God. Some of you last month, you got convicted by that, didn't you? And you made a new commitment. I'm going to spend time with God every day. And maybe you went a few days, maybe you went even a week, but some of you have already fallen off. Can I just tell you, if you made a commitment to, to be in quiet time with God this year, don't treat it like a New Year's resolution and think you have to wait for 2019 to start again. You know, when you start again, today and tomorrow, get back up, create the space so that God can speak into you. Does that make sense? You need prayer time every day. You need to be in that word every day. You need that journal and writing some of these thoughts down every day so that you're what? So that you're digging a ditch. You're focusing your life to be ready for God to speak and to pour into you. I love it. I love it. That's why we have to make church part of our, our spiritual discipleship. I need every seven days to be here with you, singing with you, because worship is a weapon to preach against the negative heart that I've found this last year. I need you to help me burn the plows. I need to be in a group. 
I know we keep hitting some of these things again because until we start living them, they're really empty until we take a step. We've got to take a step. It's why we have to give financially. It's why we have to serve outside these walls. Why? Because when we do, we're better. We're better and God gets everything in us. So I started thinking about this tension of this story. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be like Elisha right now for a minute. Can I be like Elisha? I want to invite our worship team just to start playing for me because there's something about the music, right, to get our hearts. Come on, get, get, get the harps going, Andy. I need to hear some music right now because maybe that can say something to me. And then I want to leave you with this question right here. Are you living a life that requires faith? I think too many of us, we have shrunk faith down to just attending church on Sundays. And if that's the definition of your faith, then you're missing, you're missing what God could be doing in you. Come on, show God your faith and he'll show you his faithfulness. Does your life require faith? You know, this last week I took a step, right? I struck the water, come on God, come on God. I took that step and I got hit with some challenges. Come on, pray for my neighborhood and my neighbor wrecks my fence, right? But you know what good came out of that as I started looking at what God is up to? It took that wreck for us to get on a first name basis with our neighbors. Praise God, praise God. And then I started thinking about that moment where our family was all yelling and screaming and saying things. Well, guess what? For the first time, we got to hear what our kids were thinking in their head because they said it out loud. Now we got something to work with. We know where everybody's thinking now. Now let's come and have a real conversation together. Come on, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? And with my, my Hannah putting liberty on our credit card, well, there's nothing good that came from that. <laughs> nothing. Nothing, not one thing redeemable about that. But you and I know, my wife and I are gonna be praying these next few weeks and we're gonna come in at the end of this month, going into March, and we're gonna step out in faith and we're gonna give. I'm gonna take that 90 day challenge because I wanna see what God can do in our family when we trust him sacrificially and give. You see God speaking right now, isn't he? Here's what I love about the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, is that God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, you know what's happening right now? Jesus right now is extending to you and me good news. I wanna challenge you today to take a step and to believe it. Would you believe His good news today? Right here, right now, God is pouring out His love. He's extending His unconditional love. He's telling you, you matter. He's telling you He loves you and He's reaching out to you with His love. Would you just take a step and receive His love today? Would you? You know what God wants to do in this moment today? He wants to make it rain. He wants it to rain in here where His grace his mercy, His truth, His love begins to rain on our dry and weary souls. He wants it to rain. He wants it to rain. Come on, who's ready to let it rain in their lives today? Is that what you want from the Lord? That's what He wants for you. But are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to dig a ditch? Are you gonna trust Him to bring the water? That's what today's about. You know what I believe today? 
that God brought some weary Christians today that are gonna get revived to go face tomorrow. But you know what I also believe today in this hour in this church service and even online right now, there's somebody right now listening in and has realized that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. I would add yet, because I believe today that's why you're here. And today, don't push away from his good news. Don't push away from his love. Don't push away from his grace and mercy. Today, would you just open up your life, create a space and invite him in? Would you invite him to come in? To come into your mistakes, to come into your places of pain, to come into your, your shame, to come into your past, to come into your heart. The Bible says that when he comes in, man, he makes all things new. I believe that's possible for somebody today. Could that somebody be you? Could it be you? Could it be you? But you know what you gotta do? You gotta take a step. Are you willing to take a step right here in this moment? Come on, right there online, are you willing to take a step? Bow your heads with me. Father God, oh, wow, God, you've been so strong today. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can go all the way back to the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophet stories. And Father, the whole Bible is a panorama of Jesus' grace. And God, I love that we go back to the old so that when we hear in the new who you are and what you do, it makes more sense to our souls. And Father, right now you are speaking. Father, right now you are leading. And Father, I don't want anybody to miss what you're trying to say. So right now in faith, I wanna just call attention to a few more passages of scripture. Listen to this real quick. I don't wanna miss this for your, your worship experience. In the New Testament, Jesus says this in Luke chapter six, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Let me show you this. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show them what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came and the storms came against that house, it couldn't shake it. Why? Because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put it into practice is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When his house faced the winds and the waves and the storms, his house collapsed. Why? Because destruction was complete. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter seven, not everyone who calls upon me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not drive out demons in your name? Did I not perform miracles in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus gives us some hard words there to show us that he wants to bring water, but we gotta be willing to dig a ditch. Father God, right now, and your word, may your word be the conviction of our soul. God, for the believer today, to face to face with you, to listen to your whisper today, to burn the plows, to strike the water, and today to dig the ditch. Would you give them courage in the natural, so that we can see the miracle in the supernatural. 
God, would you do what only you can do through us, but may we be responsible for our part. God, there's a lot of Christians here today that have been fixing to do something for a long time. It's time to move. It's time to move. God, I pray for that man that needs to step out of himself and to come to our retreat the first Saturday in March that needs to get into that life group with another man so that he can begin to grow in his faith. God, I need that couple to step into that marriage enrichment. God, we need those families to step into financial peace. God, we need freedom, we need healing, and we need the waters to flow. God, bring your presence today in each life in this place and online. But God, I believe you came for the one. So God, right now for the one that needs to give their lives to you, would they do that right here in this moment? Come on, talk to God, say this to God. Say, God, today I'm digging a ditch. I open up my heart, my life, and I invite you in. Oh God, forgive me. I've made a lot of mistakes. God, love me. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I need Jesus. So I can now live for you. Thank you for saving me. Praise God. Praise God. With your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're online, you just prayed those words and you meant those words, right now, would you just click that button and say, that was me, Pastor. Today, I just trusted Jesus. But if you're here in this room right here, I want to encourage you to do one more thing for me. Right here in faith. Right here in faith. Put your hand high if right now you just gave your life to Jesus. Come on, put your hand high. Right now, I just prayed and believed. Right now, I just trusted Jesus. That was me. That was me. And just keep your hand up. Our prayer team will get to you. When they get to you, they'll give you a box. When you get that box, you can put your hand down. Father, thank you. Thank you for reaching the one. God, right now, I pray for our time of worship. We need the rain to fall on our souls. So lead us in this time in Jesus' name.